This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Damian Bulwa, Managing Editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, critical days for the coronavirus pandemic in the Bay Area. As the U.S. sees a surge in cases and hospitalizations, San Francisco and the Bay Area continue to do relatively well. My guests today, reporters Kat Ho and Aideen Vaziri, will talk about why. We'll also discuss the coming coronavirus vaccines, why distrust in those vaccines is high, and what that means. And finally, we'll talk Halloween coronavirus safety. Before we get started, I want to mention that this week, we're presenting our deep dive into the life and career of the Democratic vice presidential nominee. It's called Chronicled, Who is Kamala Harris? A six-part podcast miniseries. You can find it wherever you get Fifth and Mission. Okay, here's my interview with Kat Ho and Aideen Vaziri. Guys, I want to first talk about kind of a status update around the country. There's a lot of bad news on the coronavirus. It seems like we're seeing another surge. But in the Bay Area, there's been some trouble signs, it seems like, but nothing like we're seeing in other states. Dean, give us kind of a status update. So overall, um, we did have a slight uptick over the weekend. And we are seeing numbers like Napa had a 48% increase in cases over the past seven days. San Mateo had a 43%, Alameda 39%. But when you look at the real numbers, they are, you know, week over week, that's not a whole lot of people in the Bay Area. So overall, if you look at, you know, from September, early September to now, we're still doing really well. We're doing good. There's a general down, downtrend, but you know, we, we just need to be careful going forward. Yeah. I've been watching that. I, I watched the charts. I don't know if you guys do as well. I watched the Bay area charts that the Chronicle has the California charts, and it looks like we've hit a Valley. And so when you see those cases start to rise a little more, given what's going on around the country, it's really frightening. Exactly. Um, and you know, they, they, it's not just the country, it's the whole world. There's just surges everywhere. You look at those maps and everything's red except California, which is, which is worrisome, you know, because the virus doesn't recognize borders. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. I mean, why why do places like San Francisco continue to do pretty well relative to the rest of the country? I think um, there are a few a few reasons. I think experts point to um, one is that you know the entire Bay Area did a shelter in place order um, earlier than the most places, possibly even the first in the nation. Um, there were also our, you know, some of our biggest employers, the tech companies, um, had their workers working from home a couple weeks before the shelter in place order went into place. Um, and I think that happened during a very critical period when, um, in other, in other places, the virus had started to spread more rapidly and here that, that appeared to help curb the spread somewhat. Um, and, you know, we've also had some pretty decent adherence to mask wearing, uh, which is very important um, to help prevent the spread. Um, so I think there are, 
you know, these are reasons that our experts have been talking about for several months now that they that they think are kind of behind um, our general success here. Yeah, I mean, this stuff really works, right, Kat? I mean, some of the basics, mask wearing, um, some of the, the, the shutdown of schools, the shutdown of restaurants, we're trying to come back, but there's no question that that the care in San Francisco has made a difference. Yeah, for sure. There was an article over the weekend in the LA Times um, where they talked about San Francisco's success and uh, Dr. Bob Wachter from UCSF, an infectious disease expert, said that um, if the rest of the country had followed the guidelines that we adhere to in San Francisco, only 50,000 people would be dead instead of we're past uh, 225,000 now. Um, so I think it's, you know, that the, you see some of the discussions around the world and people talking about closing bars in Ireland and Paris or, you know, making restaurants close at 9 p.m. or still having the mask wearing debate, you know, in parts of the country. And you, it's just like, we moved past that so quickly here in the Bay Area and we just didn't question it. Um, and I think, you know, it's everyone's just catching up to us now. They're seeing how serious it is. Yeah, I mean, when I remember when San Francisco announced that there was a 30-foot rule for wearing masks outside and everybody thought San Francisco officials were crazy. But again, a lot of it was just really going a long way toward letting everybody know that that you had to you had to carry that mask when you went outside in your back pocket at the very least. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. Kat, you've been writing a lot about vaccines. Obviously, the president has touted many times that that there's going to be one before Election Day. That does not seem to be the case. But everybody is following the hunt for vaccines. First off, the state has decided they're going to put in an extra layer of review, right? That's right. So last week, uh, Governor Newsom announced a state vaccine. They're calling it a work group, but it's basically um, 11 of our um, state experts, infectious disease experts, some of whom are at, you know, Stanford and Berkeley and, and our Bay Area institutions um, to kind of be a second layer um, to review the vaccines for safety and efficacy. And um, you know, I think part of the reason of that is because there's been a lot of uh, distrust towards the federal government um, and their response to this pandemic. And since it is those federal agencies who are in charge of um, reviewing the vaccine, a lot of people feel like they're not sure they can trust that process. So I think that was uh, kind of a response to that. Okay. Okay. So part of it is that the state thinks that if it is involved, it might be able to give people more confidence in actually taking the vaccine. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. And we should point out that the, California is not the only state that's done this. Um, there's, I think, six or seven other states. New York is is the other, I think, biggest example. Uh, and I think that's all kind of in response to the same thing. It's like not really knowing whether, you know, the FDA or the CDC are really like trustworthy institutions anymore. Well, let's talk about that distrust, Gad, because that's a, a big part of your last couple pieces for the Chronicle. Um, you've been looking at polls, you've been looking at surveys of people and, and a lot of people are saying they will not take necessarily a vaccine when it comes out, which could be a huge issue, right? That's right. So, um, 
if you look at some of the national polls that have been done this month, um, I think somewhere around 55 or 60 percent of people say they would get a vaccine if it existed today, which is not a super high percentage. Um, in California, uh, the last poll was I think 57 percent of people said they would get one if it existed today. Um, and that's that's lower than what, you know, the infectious disease uh, community <laughs> experts hope um, people will eventually, you know, act. Uh, and I think if if they get to very low levels like that, if that ends up being a reality um, that'll, that could possibly prolong the pandemic, you know, it, it could slow down um, our ability to reopen things um, because it would just mean it, it takes us longer to kind of get control over the situation. And and what's driving that distrust? How How similar is it to the distrust of the measles vaccine of, of small pockets of the Bay Area where we've seen people be hesitant uh, to get their children vaccinated, do, uh, having looked at some some frankly discredited research in the past. How, um, how similar is it? Or are there other reasons this time for vaccine distrust? Yes, yeah, interesting. Uh, you know, I think there's several kind of major segments of people uh, and different reasons why they distrust a vaccine. Um, I think the, the group that you mentioned, kind of your more, um, what, what a lot of people would label anti-vaxxers, wouldn't get this vaccine or any vaccine, really. Um, and I think that those pockets exist with this vaccine. Um, I think there's also a lot more politicization around this virus and this vaccine that there has been uh, with previous vaccines, at least at the national level. You know, I think a lot of people uh, are just really wondering whether the Trump administration can be trusted to handle um, the vaccine development. And I think that's where a lot of the, uh, the skepticism toward getting a vaccine comes from. Um, there's also a lot of kind of historical reasons why people of color in this country in particular don't trust government medicine in general. Um, and a lot of that comes from, for example, I think the most uh, infamous example is the Tuskegee experiment uh, when black men were uh, deliberately not treated for syphilis. This is a large government-sponsored study that happened over many, many decades. Um, and so I think when you see the particularly low levels of trust among Black Americans towards this vaccine, uh, I think you can trace some of that to those historical reasons. All right, I need to take a quick break. More of Fifth Admission right after this. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa. I'm joined by Kat Ho and Ideen Vaziri. They're both reporters at The Chronicle who've been following the coronavirus pandemic Kat, I want to re return before we move to another subject really quickly to the vaccine. And you said uh, that people may not trust whether the government is going to deliver a safe vaccine. So simple question. Can we? Well, I think 
given the kind of newer um, newer safety guidelines the FDA has put into place recently, you know, what I found in my reporting is a lot of the experts maybe a month ago would have been very skeptical about the vaccine process, but they've kind of seen what's happened over the last three, four weeks. And that gives them some reassurance that, yes, they can trust the FDA um, in this process. Uh, and some of the some of those kind of recent developments are that the drug companies themselves, um, they've been more transparent with their clinical trial data than uh, is, is typical in most clinical trials. Um, you've also seen the Pfizer's CEO, Pfizer's um, developing one of the lead vaccines. Um, has said it's not going to be available before uh, the election. Um, they won't have their data available to present to the FDA before until the third week of November, um, definitely after the election. Um, and the FDA has also instituted some stricter guidelines with the vaccine trials. So I think for people who have like are really plugged into this process, who really follow this stuff closely. Um, feel that those are all reassuring signs um, that the FDA is is standing up to the president in ways that um, I think maybe a few months ago they weren't they weren't uh, at least that was the perception uh, and I think they they view that as a kind of heartening or encouraging signs that um, that this is a, a process that that will be vetted thoroughly. Um, not just by the FDA, but by um, outside independent scientists as well. Yeah, and of course, the election is next week. So hopefully some of the politics come out of that process once once it's over. I want to uh, turn our attention to one more subject. It's a series of stories the Chronicle has been launching about questions that our readers have for the holidays. People are talking about um, traveling, road trips, getting on airplanes, seeing relatives, sometimes older um, and, and, and shopping. Uh, and so I want to, I want to kind of address that. And we do encourage readers to read these pieces and, and send us their own questions. Um, but can we start with Halloween, which is right around the corner? Right. I, Dean, you wrote a piece, uh, what should we be looking forward, uh, to Halloween and what's safe? I mean, they, Really, the public health experts want everyone to stay home. They don't want people doing the traditional Halloween activities like trick-or-treating door-to-door or, you know, creating haunted houses for the neighborhood, having block parties, all that stuff where you typically mix with other households. They don't want that happening. At the same time, they know that it's going to happen, so they've put out various guidelines of how to do it safely. You know, they want... they California had... Uh, issued guidelines for small gatherings. So that means you could meet up to three different households for up to two hours, as long as you wear a mask and stay apart. And, you know, that applies to Thanksgiving, that applies to Christmas, all the holidays going forward. It, and, they, you know, the important thing is to stay outside. Um, so if you're going to do anything Halloween-related, be outside, try not to go to, you know, over to strangers' houses and knock their doors and <laughs> be in their faces. Um, what about candy? If you can't, you know, if you have kids, uh, just order a giant bag of candy and like have them go door to door in your house. Um, or if you have a, a trusted group of friends that you can, you know, where they, you know, if you can just kind of set, set stuff up out on your driveway and have them walk by and pick up bags and go 
you really don't want to be in anyone else's face. You know, you don't want those, uh, those droplets transferring. You don't want right. to break that and, social and wear, distancing mandate. And wear a mask, right? Wear, yeah, wear a mask. Even if you're wearing a costume mask, the rubber mask is not going to protect you. You need, you need the real mask underneath it or over it. Um, but yeah. What about these these other things that have, are so familiar to the holidays? I and mean, people people have been waiting to do things like fly and see their relatives. Is that changing, or perhaps the the surge around the country is a warning against that? Yeah, I mean, travel is not advisable right now. It's um, there was a new study that came out of uh, Ireland today, that, but but the European CDC basically and. Um, on a plane where, with uh, that was at 17% capacity, there were 13 cases, which led to up to 60 infections that in the community after the people you know were done with their flight. Um, you really do not want to travel right now, especially in places that are where the infection rate is really high. Especially if you have older relatives, it's. This is not the year to do that. I think like everything else we've done, most things should be done over Zoom. <laughs> but there are some things you can do if you do want to try to see people in person, right? In terms of keeping it small, testing outdoors. Exactly. Just follow the guidelines that the state has issued. Do it outside. Um, wear a mask. Maintain social distance. Don't Don't share food. Don't share utensils. Bring your own stuff. Um, as far as testing, um, and Kat can speak more to this, um, testing only works if you do it on a regular basis. So if I get a test on Friday and then go to the grocery store on Saturday and then go get gas on Sunday and then go see my parents, I, it's not that the testing is useless in that. But Kat, what, what do you, uh, how reliable is testing? Well, I think it's it, it would be reasonable to get um, a PCR test, you know, before reuniting with your family members, especially if they're high risk. The, you know, um, the faster antigen tests are not quite as um, sensitive as the PCR tests are. Um, I suppose you could you know, do some planning around, okay, if you're going to go see your relatives on a Saturday or something, you try to get tested a few days before that. That way you have time to get your result, but you also have to make sure that you're not going out and potentially exposing yourself while you're waiting. Um, so, you know, I think that's probably a discussion, like if you wanted to to go that route that you have with your family and see if like that's that's a strategy that you're all comfortable with. You know, I, we've had those discussions in my house. Um, I haven't seen my parents uh, in, in person indoors for however many months. Um, we've limited our interactions to brief, like, outside, you know, in the driveway, hello, goodbye kind of stuff, and and we all wear masks. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a kind of, like, up to your own risk appetite how you want to handle that. Um, but I think testing is is a especially now that testing is more um, accessible and it's faster. Uh, I think, I think that would be something reasonable to, to consider if, if you do want to see your family, as long as you're kind of taking all those other um, like mitigations, mitigation steps as well. And to be clear, Kat, is there any chance that we have a vaccine 
before Christmas and New Year's? Mm, the general public, I would say the chances are slim to none. Uh, I think there probably will be at least one vaccine that gets authorization by the end of the year, but it's going to be available to such limited groups that for most of us, like for the vast majority of the U.S. population, we won't be able to get it until probably sometime next year. Um, so I think most of the experts are predicting the earliest even those limited groups would get vaccinated is maybe January, maybe a little bit earlier, but like, the, you know, those will be limited um, to healthcare workers, you know, potentially employees at skilled nursing facilities, you know, just like the highest risk, um, high, like potential for exposure groups. Uh, it's not going to be for most most people. And all Santa Clauses, uh, according to the Trump administration. That's right. Well, there's... There- there's also the the issue of um, manufacturing the tools to get the vaccines out. And then, as uh, Newsom brought up last week, there's the whole issue of uh, vaccine storage, um, having enough dry ice and cold storage facilities, um, which is, you know, the little things that you don't really think about. It's, they might have the vaccine ready to go in a lab, but getting it out to everyone in the world is going to be a whole different thing. And I don't think they've even started working on a vaccine for children yet. They haven't even started developing that. So that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Long ways to go. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Kat and Ideen. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks to my guests today, reporters Kat Ho and Ideen Vaziri. A reminder that this week you can check out our deep dive into the life and career a VP candidate, Kamala Harris. It's called Chronicled, Who is Kamala Harris? A six-part podcast miniseries. You can find it wherever you get Fifth and Mission. Thanks also to the producer of this episode, King Kaufman, and thank you for listening. Listening.